Hey guys, welcome to True Knows Talk. Jeff here. I don't know if y'all have heard of Anchor, but it's ran by Spotify now. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one app or on your desktop. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone and computer. And really, I mean, when hosting on Anchor, you you mean you can distribute your podcast on many platforms. Spotify, Apple, I mean, there's just tons of them, more than I have time to really explain. But the best part about it, really, everything you need is in one place, and it's free. So, guys, go to your app store, download the Anchor FM app, or go online and just put it on your desktop if you got a laptop. Now, I know Chip and Hunter, just like I am, we're ready to kick this thing off. So, y'all can give us the countdown, and we'll see y'all when the show starts. What's up, Knowles fans? Welcome to another edition of True Knowles Talk. Jeff Rains here. I'm glad all y'all could join me today. I'd like to dive off into a serious question that I've been asked. How long will it take Florida State to return to its winning ways? Well, guys, if history has any guide, maybe not that long. And the best way to see the future is to go to the past. FSU's 2020 season was disappointing, and all of us fans knows that. And any old fan who remembers the 1970s might bring a sense of deja vu. While Norvell's first year produced only three wins, and fans think FSU is going through a rough patch, older Knowles will tell you it can't compare to the dark days of the 73 through 75 seasons, when Florida State won only a total of four games. Guys, the Knowles went winless in 1973, 0-11. But how did Florida State's program rise from the ashes to earn 14 top five finishes? You can go ask former players like Mike Schumann. He was there firsthand. He was the Knowles wide receiver in the 1973 winless season and later played on the 1997 team where Bobby Bowden coached. And it turned all around. That season, they went 10-2, and two, including a Tangerine Bowl victory where they beat the Red Raiders of Texas Tech 40-17. to 17. Mike had a big hand in that Seminoles renaissance. Well, he played receiver, so I guess you could say he had two hands. During his time at FSU, he had 135 catches for 2,306 yards and 16 touchdowns. He still ranks ninth in program history for career receiving yards. He went on to play six years in the National Football League, plus one with Oakland in what was the old USFL, where his wide receivers coach was none other than Seminole legend Frank Belitikoff. But when you look at those Knowles, and then you look at the present Knowles, there are similarities between the two teams, including coaching changes, division among players, and what it took and will take to make a transformation back to the mountaintop. Guys, the three things we need and the players need to focus on is three simple things that will help right this ship. Focus, motivation, and goal setting. And I believe Norvell 
has us on that way. I believe he has the focus. He's motivating them. And if y'all hadn't seen the blocks that these kids sign that has the team we're playing that week on it, and each player signs it, at the end of the game, if they win, they smash the rock. That's motivation. But then you ask about these players need a little bit more motivation that may not have the talent that's been gifted by God to them. And these three things, focus, motivation, and goal setting, every player needs, no matter how much talent they're blessed with. Jordan Travis, Jameis Winston, Peter Warwick, and many others, it seemed to come naturally to them. But those who don't have it, they often look to their coaches and their other team leaders for that. I know us fans ask ourselves all the time, how do you stay positive and get up for the games on Saturday knowing the team play in the way they are? You have to be encouraged by some of the team's better games, like when FSU beat North Carolina this past year, and then the way the team played for each other during the Duke game. That's things that we have to build on as a program, and it's just going to make us that much better. I've been asked, guys, you know, what do I think is going on with the team? And what do I think has been the struggles in the past? And the answer is I don't know. I don't know if it's the team or if it's more the other teams that gets fired up to come to our big, beautiful stadium and beat the tar out of us at home. Guys, people used to fear Florida State. We used to be better than everybody and beat everybody by large margins. Now, we've been beaten enough times that everybody thinks they can beat us. And a big part of football is believing what you can or can't do. So I guess every team's kind of chomping at the bit. They want to still get a piece of Florida State. Kind of like, let's get them back for all those years. They beat us by 50. Then you look at these two teams, you go, how do you compare the talent on this year's team to that team that started it all? Both teams have and had a lot of talent. I'm sure we have a lot of talent on the roster right now. But it's more than just talent. Everybody's got to play together as a unit. They got to buy in. Sometimes people don't push the others enough and they don't push the importance of that. You say this guy's great and that guy's great, but everybody needs to play together and complement each other's skill set and help each other out. When they have a bad or down play, pick each other up. That's what a good team does and that's what they are. You cover for somebody else if they make a mistake. You know, then as fans, we ask ourselves, do we need to panic? I don't think we need to panic. I think we need to remember this one saying, guys. It's real famous. It says, this too shall pass. Yes, things will get better. I'm not giving up. I'll be up there every weekend I can and hope we beat whoever team we're playing. I've been there at home games and been disappointed like everybody else, but I certainly feel like everybody on the team is trying and buying in. I also think everybody that's coaching is trying their darndest and buying in. Remember, guys, no storm lasts forever, and there is always a rainbow and a sunny skies after the storm. I guarantee we all have learned a life lesson from this. We've all learned how to keep going when things aren't going our way. As we all know, when things are going our way, it seems everything is easy and nice and joyful. But when things turn and they're not going our way or going against us, it's kind of hard 
and easy just to give up. So it helps prepare all of us for adversity and gives us that unconquered spirit and attitude of don't give up. We're still in this thing, guys. We're not going down without a fight, and Florida State's not going nowhere except to that mountaintop. But if you want to look at the where we began and where it all started, let's dive into Bobby Bowden's first year at Florida State. Legendary football coach Bobby Bowden. He was an offensive coordinator at West Virginia. He was then promoted to head coach in 1970 and had him kind of mixed results. But in 75, his 9-3 record was enough to get him noticed by a struggling Tallahassee program in the South. Florida State had some good years in football, but none of them had been in recent years before Bobby Bowden arrived. The previous season, Florida State posted a 3-8 record. It was great and all compared to the one-win season we had before, but Florida State had gone winless in 73. It's hard to believe that. It's hard to believe the Knowles went winless. But that was the situation that legendary Bobby Bowden stepped into when he became the head honcho and head coach of Florida State. Kind of like what Norville kind of stepped into. The same pile of manure. Bobby Bowden didn't have a set of wings. He's not a savior. He didn't have a halo over his head either. And in 74, he had a losing record at West Virginia. There may have been stories going around Tallahassee, Florida that Bowden wasn't human because of his success and how he turned it around. They had him on a pedestal and maybe some thought he was larger than life. But he was capable of losing. His first game as head coach at Florida State was a loss. I bet a bunch of Florida State alums kind of questioned the decision on Bowden after he lost his uh, season opener to Memphis that year. Yes, he lost to Memphis. But Bowden's first game, you know, both eyebrows went up and probably some tempers were lost the following game. We played Miami the next game, and boy, did we lose big. It was horrible, that game. They lost to the Canes 47 to nothing and in a horrifying manner. They had multiple turnovers, I want to say five, that set up Miami scores. But maybe the, maybe the worst thing about losing to Miami that year other than how bad the score was, it could have been because Miami was horrible that year also. They went 3-8 and eight that year that we got trampled by them. The situation only got worse for Bobby and the Seminoles the next week as they traveled to the fourth-ranked Oklahoma Sooners. It was their third game on the road in a row, which may have been a great thing at that time, because the Sooners beat the mess out of a bad Florida State team, 47 to nothing. But Bobby and the Seminoles finally got a home game the following week. And after a less than exciting 0-3 start, there were still some 30,000 fans there to cheer on the Seminoles. And 30,000 fans looking at it nowadays is nothing in Doe Campbell. Most of those fans must have been wanting to hit the exits when the Kansas State team of the Big 8 Conference at the time took a 10-0 lead going into halftime. It appeared as if Bobby 
Bowden and the Knowles were off to an 0-4 start. We've seen them before, ain't we, guys? It was only natural that the fans began to question whether Bobby was the right hire and that seems hilarious to think about now. But average Joe fans, they have a short memory. Little vision and patience, plus a short fuse. The Seminoles came out after halftime and put up 20 points and came out with their first win under Bobby Bowden. And that kind of where it all started there, guys. And it would lead to many, many more. A trip to Boston, the next, to take on the 13th-ranked Boston College Eagles was next on Bobby Bowden's bunch as the situation didn't get any easier. But after getting down 6 to nothing, the Seminoles came back and gave Boston College a, a beatdown for that time and beat the 13th-ranked team 28-9. to Then after that, a nice big crowd of 42,000 came out to see Bobby Bowden and the Seminoles take on the Florida Gators for the first time. The Gators were ranked 12th and came in 3-0 and in the record so far. Again, guys, there's no more victories in sports. But some people think this was the one of the greatest games in the history of the rivalry between the two schools. The game ended with Florida State inside the Gators' 10-yard line throwing for the end zone in a wild 33-26 Gators win. Seminole quarterback Jimmy Black was 14 out of 17 on the day for over 200 yards in what was his best game of the season to that point. The Seminoles had tough losses against Auburn and Clemson that followed. Both were having an unusually bad season. They both won three games each in 76. Florida State just missed on golden opportunities to win in them, which dropped the Knowles in Bobby's first year to 2-6. and six. But there's no quit in Bobby Bowden. He didn't let his team quit. The last three games of the year were against Southern Miss, North Texas, Virginia Tech, and the Seminoles swept them to finish the season 5-6. A 5-6 and six record in 1976 would be Bobby's one and only losing record at Florida State. Now, if you look at his records in the later part of his career, he did have some 500 seasons until the bowl game, and he ended at 7-6. and six. I remember those seasons. But, you know, Bowden and his staff back then, they, they hit the ground running and hard recruiting an outstanding 77 class, which included the great Ron Simmons, Bobby Butler, Monk Bonsorda, Ken Lanier, Holmes Johnson, Rick Stockstill, just to name a few. They even went into Canada to sign Mitchell Chuvolo. And while he didn't work out, it just shows how dedicated Bowden and his staff was in improving that team, which bodes well to Mike Norvell and them this year because they're hitting the recruiting trail harder than anybody I've seen in a while. But, guys, if y'all didn't know this, there was actually a book written about the Florida programs. It's called Trifecta of Hate which is about the three-way rivalry between the three big Florida schools, which kind of dominated college football from 83 to 2008 and then again in 2013. And to think, in that time frame, between the three schools, Miami, Florida, and Florida State, they won an incredible 11 national titles in that span. But, guys, that was not done 
without great coaching and solid recruits out of Florida and throughout the United States. So, guys, get ready. Get ready, America. Get ready, nation. The Florida State Seminoles are coming. We're bringing hell with us. Love them or hate them, we will become one of the most feared schools in the nation yet again. And y'all can believe that. Now, Knowles fans, let's look at one of FSU's all-time greatest and one of the ones that helped build this program during Coach Bowden's first four years in Tallahassee and put the Knowles on the map. When you look at this player's career, there's only one true word that comes to mind, and that word is... That's Ron Simmons. Inducted into the Florida State University Hall of Fame in 1986, he played nose guard for the Knowles from 1977 to 1980. But today's generation of football fans, Ron Simmons is better known for his Hall of Fame professional wrestling career than what he did on the football field. He was the first black heavyweight champion in both WCW and WWE history. He has had a career that has spanned over four decades that has seen him wrestle under both his given name and the ring name Farouk in the WWE or what was known as the WWF at the time. Ron Simmons continues to bring recognition to Florida State in his post-football career, much as Lee Corso and Burt Reynolds did, is worthy of acknowledgement in and of itself. But unlike Corso and Reynolds, Simmons was a two-time consensus All-American. By the time Simmons left Florida State, he was arguably the greatest player to have come through the program up to that point. Fred Belintikoff had gone on to achieve great success in the National Football League by that point. But in terms of what was done on the field for the Seminoles, while playing in college, it's hard to find a better career over the first 35 years of FSU's history. Born in Perry, Georgia in 1958, Simmons would grow up to star as a tight end and linebacker on the Warner Robins high school team. By 1977, he was one of the most highly touted recruits in the country, and he chose Florida State, which was a coup at the time for second-year head coach Bobby Bowden. In his first game, as a true freshman in 1977, Simmons announced his presence by winning the National Lineman of the Week honors for his dominating 10-tackle performance against Southern Miss. That season, from his middle guard position on the Knowles defensive line, Simmons collected 128 tackles and 12 sacks. In his first season, Ron Simmons had broken the single-season school sack record that record stood for another 19 years until Reinhard Wilson and Peter Bolware broke it together in 1996. Simmons then shifted to nose for his final three seasons where he pulled down another 13 sacks over those three years to finish with 25 sacks for his career. That mark also stood as a school record until it was broken by both Wilson and Bolware in 96. Simmons is still third all-time at Florida State in sacks to this day. His 483 career tackles were good enough for second all-time at Florida State in 1977. And that is where Simmons sits to this day as well. Second all-time in tackles and third all-time in sacks. Over his four-year career, Simmons was recognized on 19 different All-American teams and was an NCAA consensus All-American as a junior and senior. As Simmons' profile was rising nationally, so too was Florida State. 
The Seminoles went 39-8 over the, his four seasons in Tallahassee. After a Tangerine Bowl win during Florida State's 1977 season, where they finished the season 10 and 2, the Seminoles went 8 and 3 in Simmons' sophomore season and missed a bowl bid. Guys, this was back before the days of the Emerald Nut Bowl, the San Diego Credit Union Bowl, when not every team got into a bowl. But in 1979 and 1980, the Seminoles went to back-to-back -back Orange Bowls, finishing a then-school-best fifth in the nation following the 1980 season. The 6'1", 230-pound defensive tackle also never lost to Florida, which is a moniker only a handful of Knowles can claim to this day. After being drafted in the sixth round by the Browns in 1981, Simmons played a season in Cleveland before making the jump to the CFL and the USFL, where he played for Ottawa and Tampa. He then hung up his cleats and put on the wrestling tights, embarking on a professional wrestling career that started in 1989 and continues to this day, where he makes appearances on and off. Simmons was inducted in the Florida State Hall of Fame in 1986. He was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2008 and the WWE's Hall of Fame in 2012. In the era right before Florida State's 14-year run from the late 80s into the early 2000s, Simmons was one of the players helping to raise the Seminoles' national profile and put FSU squarely on the map. Granted, in today's game, a 6'1", 230-pound defensive tackle could never even play at Florida State. Timmy Jernigan is the lightest defensive tackle likely to see playing time when he was on the roster. He was listed while at Florida State at 294 pounds. If Ron Simmons played today, he would likely be left as a linebacker or maybe asked to play defensive end, provided he had the foot speed. But in his time at Florida State, Simmons was one of the most dominant defenders in the entire nation. And without a doubt, he was the best defender to have ever played at Florida State up to that point. Evidenced by the fact Simmons number 50 was the first defensive number ever retired at the school. It was a different era, but Ron Simmons dominated that era. His place in the Seminole record books is still secure over 30 years after he graduated. He's one of the greatest Knowles of all times. And like I said, the only thing you can say about that career is... Now it's time to see who you, the listeners, voted as the greatest running back to where the Garnet and Gold is. But first, let's look at some numbers. These four running backs that I gave a list of, together they accumulated over 13,390 rushing yards, 140 rushing touchdowns, 7,232 receiving yards out of the backfield, with 29 receiving touchdowns. On top of numerous awards, these four great Knowles running backs won. First off, let's look at really the first true running back that came to dominance in the backfield of Tallahassee, and that's Amp Lee, who came out of Chipley, Florida, as a two-sport star. He could either play running back or safety on the football field. He also played basketball. Head coach Bobby Bowden realized that his shiftiness and versatility on the offense made him a perfect fit at the tailback position. And versatility 
is the key word when discussing Ampley. As a runner, he was obviously talented and could go the distance on any play. Think of him as a 1990s version of Dalvin Cook, if you want to compare. But it was his receiving ability that made it so difficult for defenses to stop him. Lee was a textbook example of a receiving threat at the running back position. In the three years that he played for the Seminoles, from 89 to 91, he ran for only 2,092 yards and 30 touchdowns. But in that same span, he caught 70 passes for 968 yards and 8 touchdowns. That type of flexibility on offense gives coaches a completely new route to go on. When the defense has to account for the tailback on every single play, it alters what they're allowed to get away with. Lee could have switched to wide receiver at any point of his time at Florida State, and he probably would have had similar production. It was those 70 receptions in his career that highlighted what type of athlete Lee turned into. Bowden's offense greatly benefited from it as well. As the Seminoles' reputation began to shift towards a high-powered scoring offense, it also helped Lee get drafted in the second round of the 1992 draft. Lee played nine years in the National Football League for San Francisco, Minnesota, St. Louis, and Philadelphia. And like it was said, Doak Campbell was powered by 10,000 watts, but only one amp. And now that brings us to arguably one of the most recognized names to wear the garnet and gold. And that's Warwick Dunn. Warwick Dunn's phenomenal running style and dominating performances just didn't seem to mesh with his soft-spoken, humble, yet mature demeanor. He was a fighter and a survivor who entered Florida State as one of the top 10 high school football players out of Louisiana. In his first year as a Seminole, the running back earned freshman All-American honors. He helped lead Florida State to its first national championship in 93. The Baton Rouge native went on to become the first two-time 1,000-yard rusher in Florida State history. A preseason Playboy All-American and the MVP of the 94 Sugar Bowl. He still holds the career rushing record of nearly 4,000 yards, which is number two on the list. He became only the sixth FSU football player to have his jersey retired. Dunn became a two-sport All-American after a standout spring season with the Seminoles track team. Warwick was a first-round draft pick of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where he had two 1,000-yard rushing seasons and was invited to the Pro Bowl twice. He closed out his career with Tampa in second place on the all-time list and ranks fifth on the all-time list for receptions. Dunn continued his successful career off the field. The former Seminole set up a home for the holidays program, awarding single working mothers a down payment for a furnished home. Dunn has been recognized for his service to the community by receiving the Florida Sustained Service Award presented in Tampa and the Giants Step Award presented by former President Bill Clinton. Many mothers and children have been placed in new homes throughout Dunn's program. Notably, Deshaun Watson's family was a recipient of one of these homes. But let's look at Dunn's records that he still holds at Florida State. Warwick Dunn still sits today at number two on the all-time rushing record. 
He is number three with 37 career rushing touchdowns. That's just a few of the records Warwick Dunn holds at Florida State. But next on the list, we're going to go to a guy that just graduated just recently, actually just played his first season in the NFL. That's Cam Akers. Cam Akers averaged, while at Florida State, 958 yards per season. Ranked third in program history. He's ranked fifth all-time at FSU with 586 rushing attempts, 2,874 rushing yards, and 11 100-yard games. We're sixth on FSU's all-time lists. 206 points scored was sixth highest totals among non-kickers. 34 touchdowns makes him tied for sixth in program history. 27 rushing touchdowns ranks him 7th at FSU and 12th all-time at FSU with 3,375 all-purpose yards. You know, Cam Akers was a highly touted running back. Could have blown the waters apart and been the all-time greatest if he would have had a better offensive line. And we all remember them offensive lines and also Willie Taggart's offense where Cam really didn't produce a lot like he would have under Jimbo's offense. But Cam did have multiple 1,000-yard rushing seasons, which he joined Warwick Dunn and Dalvin Cook. Cam chose Florida State over Ole Miss, LSU, Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia, among several other schools that was after him. But now, it's the one y'all voted for, the greatest running back to wear the garnet and gold, voted on by you, the listeners, and that was Dalvin Cook. There's a lot you can say about Dalvin. Dalvin ranks number one in all, all uh, rushing yards. He is number one in touchdowns and number one in season yards. And in 2014, he put together the finest season by a freshman running back at Florida State history, setting an FSU freshman record with 1,008 yards and eight rushing touchdowns on just 170 carries, which is about 5.9 yards per carry. He became the first Seminole freshman to reach a 1,000-yard plateau and just the ninth player ever, which ranked fifth in the ACC in total rushing yards. His rushing yards per game was an average of 77.5, and yards per carry per game, like I said, was about 5.9. A collected all-ACC second-team honors from the media and a third-team accolades from the coaches captured freshman honors from Athlon Sports, Campus Insiders, College Football News, and so on. Just a look at Dalvin. He enrolled at Florida State in January 2014. He was a five-star running back from both Rivals and 24-7 Sports and a four-star mark on ESPN. He was rated the number one prospect in Florida, the number two running back in the nation, and overall the number 13 prospect by 24-7 Sports. Also ranked in the national top 25 by Rivals, which he was number 18, and ESPN, which he was number 21. He was named the 2013 Mr. Florida Football by Florida Dairy Farmers Association. And while in high school at Miami-Dade, he rushed for 1,940 yards and 24 touchdowns on 177 carries and intercepted three passes on defense. Yeah, Dalvin Cook played defense in high school, guys. 
He led Miami Central to a 6A state championship by rushing for 223 yards and four touchdowns in the victory over Sefner and Armwood where they beat them 52-7. He finished his prep career rushing for 4,267 yards and 64 touchdowns. And he led Miami Central to a all to a pretty good record of 52-5 and five over that time. There's a lot you can say about him. I mean, he attended the same high school as Devontae Freeman and other greats. And he declared for the draft after a remarkable 2016 season that we all remember the Orange Bowl that year. We played Michigan, and Dalvin really kind of – he kind of just took it over. I mean, he took that game over. Um, he had offers – from Florida, Texas, Arkansas, Miami. And if y'all remember, Dalvin really was a Gator for most of his commitment then ultimately flipping to the Knolls. But with that being said, with all the yardage and all that and all the stats and all Dalvin had, I mean, in the, just the three years he was at Florida State, he accumulated 4,464 yards and 46 rushing touchdowns. 79 receptions and 935 yards with two receiving touchdowns. That is why you, the fans, and you, the listeners, voted him the greatest knoll to wear the garnet and gold. Hey!